so will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. This shocking conclusion to the parable that Jesus tells highlights how serious he takes forgiveness. Forgiveness is often misunderstood. People, forgive for, or people confuse forgiveness with being okay with what someone did or them getting away with it. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness, commonly, basically understood, too, is a decision to release someone from the debt that they owe to you, a debt that they incurred based on what they did or didn't do, what they did say or didn't say. That when someone commits an offense against us, they actually become indebted to us. They owe us something. And what forgiveness is, it's a decision to release them from that debt. You no longer owe me. You no longer need to pay me back. And that means that we don't seek revenge. We don't seek vengeance. We don't seek to make sure that they feel what they did or they get what is theirs. It's a complete and simple releasing of people from their debt. Now, while this makes sense intellectually, it's a lot more difficult to do than it is to be understood. And so forgiveness can be very difficult. There's a lot I can say about forgiveness. But what I want to say is that I believe that Jesus gives us the key in today's gospel to forgive much more easily. In the parable, we see that this is a parable of the kingdom, and the king is owed a great debt by one of his servants. And it's interesting, the text here says that he's owed a, he's owed, he owes him a huge amount. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says a myriad of talents. Actually, it's plural, myriads of talents. A myriad is like the highest number in Greek. It's 10,000. Myriads is tens of thousands of talents. And one talent is 6,000 days wages, half of someone's lifetime. So translated today, this is trillions of dollars that this person owes to the king. The whole idea of this is that it's something he simply cannot pay back. So the king puts his family his wife, his children, and all of his property, he seizes all of it, puts them in prison in order for them to pay the debt, which is never. They're never going to be able to pay that debt. And so he drops to his knees and he begs him for forgiveness. Please give me more time, which we know is, is fruitless. More time is not going to help you. But he forgives him his debt. I love this line. It says, and moved with compassion, right? The king forgives him and completely cancels his debt. And then that same servant who did not recognize perhaps the grandeur of what he's received finds one of his servants who owes him a much smaller amount, right? That's not what the Greek says. The Greek is very specific here. Much smaller amount is 100 denarii, which is about 100 days wages in the ancient world. Today, that's equivalent to about, depending on the business and the, and the work, about $40,000, Trillions of dollars to $40,000, much smaller amount. And rather than living out of the gratitude and awareness of how much he had been forgiven, he seizes this person who owes him, and he begins to choke him and says, pay back what you owe. And after doing so, he takes him and puts him in prison until he pays the debt. Now, in the ancient world, people were put in prison, and people would sometimes be tortured in order to get their loved ones to pay the debt that was owed. So that's what he does. Well, obviously we know that his, the master, the king, finds out. He finds out and says, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? And he handed him over to the torturers until he pays back the whole debt, which we know is never. He's never going to be able to pay that back. We know the basic point of this parable. The basic point is we as Christians have been forgiven a heavy debt that we could not possibly pay. The debt that we owe to God because of our sin was something we were incapable of actually paying back. And God chose to erase and cancel that debt. Therefore, we should forgive those who have sinned against us and owe us a debt quite easily because the comparison is that what they owe to us is insignificant compared to what we owe to God. And if we don't do that, we are putting at risk the very forgiveness that God has given to us. We could lose the forgiveness that he won for us on the cross. This is actually a teaching that goes throughout the New Testament and it's one of Jesus' most serious teachings. Right? He says, the measure with which you measure toward others will be measured out to you. We even pray in the Our Father, the prayer that we pray as Christians. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What's interesting is that in Aramaic, the word trespass means debt and sin at the same time. Forgive us, Lord, the debts that we owe to you as we forgive all those who owe us debts, as we forgive our debtors. This is at the heart of who we are as a people, to live in the awareness of God's forgiveness of us so that we can extend that to others. And this is why often when I preach, I'll often say this, that the paradox of the Christian life is you're never allowed to keep what you refuse to give away. You're never allowed to keep what you refuse to give away. What God has given to us freely, we're meant to give freely to others. Otherwise, we lose the very thing that we want to keep. What's interesting is that I believe, therefore, this gives us the key to forgiving people in the Christian life, is that if we live in a constant awareness of the context of, di- of divine mercy, of what God has done for us, then it's going to be much easier to forgive people who owe us a much smaller amount, and an insignificant amount. It's going to be much easier for us to understand, while the debt might be, what might be painful and difficult in our life, what people have done against us is almost nothing compared to what we have been forgiven by God. And this is important because when we get hurt, I don't know about you, but it's easy for us to focus on the injustice. Easy for us to, to replay in our mind over and over again what the person did or didn't do and how much it affects us. And if we're not careful, we can begin to say, this person doesn't deserve forgiveness. This person doesn't deserve mercy. No, this person deserves this. And we can get stuck in that place. Now, if we're talking to someone who's struggling to forgive and they're stuck in that place, right? They say, well, this person doesn't deserve this. Our response should be, of course they don't. Of course they don't deserve it. Forgiveness and mercy presupposes that they don't. But neither do we. We don't deserve mercy. And God chooses to have mercy on us and forgive us anyway. It's when we precisely recognize that we are living under undeserved favor, undeserved grace in God, that we are set free to be his mercy to those who have hurt us. That's the Christian life. But when we don't live in an awareness of this, or we forget it because we're blinded by the rage in our own hearts, or we're blinded by the, really the pain that can happen when we get hurt, it's easy for us to become harsh and judgmental toward those who hurt us. And when that happens, we need to be very, very clear that our pursuit of justice can get very dicey. 
Our pursuit of justice can really, really uh, turn ugly. There's a preacher I listened to um, back, um, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, five years ago, I listened to him a lot. And uh, he says something that's pretty jarring, and I think it's important to, to, for me to hear it. So I warn you ahead of time, it's pretty jarring what he says. But he's in the context of talking about what we deserve, what other people deserve in our life. Well, this person doesn't deserve this, but I deserve this. He says, if you want what you deserve, go to hell. It's pretty jarring, isn't it? But it's 100% true. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve God's love. It's a gift. In fact, the more we come to be aware of the holiness of God and the, and the height to which we're called and how much we fall short, the more we recognize how much of a gift God's mercy really is, is that we don't deserve anything and yet he chooses to love us anyway. In fact, I would say that perhaps one of the most um, profound moments in evangelization is when people come to the realization of what God has done for them. That they have fallen short of the, uh, of the glory of God and yet God chooses to love them anyway. This realization that Jesus took everything that we've done that we regret, things that have hurt people, things that we've done when we've disobeyed our conscience, disobeyed God, and he's taking that and he took it upon himself on the cross so that we might be free. To know that freedom to be evangelized and be convinced of that is one of the best gifts that we can experience as Christians. To know that he took what we deserved, which is death, and gave us what he deserved, which is life. This is the good news. The good news is that we have a father who does not want us to be in prison. He does not want to imprison us forever. And that's precisely why he sent his son to die for us. So as to give us hope and freedom. To invite us to live in that freedom. Extending his mercy to those who've hurt us. To end the perpetual cycle of violence and hatred in the world. That's what his cross does. If we allow it to impact our lives. What's powerful about this is that when we, when we live like this, everything changes. But it's easy for us to spot when people aren't living like this, when we're not living like this. We become spoiled. We become entitled. We become to take account of all that people owe us. We seize people. We begin to choke them and say, pay back what you owe. And then we begin to put them in the, into the prisons of our critical judgment. This is what the world looks like. This is what the world that's forgotten about mercy, forgotten about love, maybe perhaps doesn't know the mercy of God. This is what happens. And it might start small. Unforgiveness starts small. It might be the, the, um, the silent treatment. It might be slander and gossip about people that we don't like that have hurt us. Or it might still might be full-blown anger, resentment, hatred, rage, murder, wars. These kinds of things that destroy people and relationships they all flow from a heart that is reeling and, and, and turned into bitterness because of unforgiveness. And what's interesting about this is that people who live like this live in constant guilt of their own sin, not knowing the freedom that Christ has won for us. So when we know we're forgiven, it's easy for us to see what, God has, what people have done against us, while serious is actually pretty insignificant comparatively. And by the way, I know if, as I preach on this, you might be thinking about different things that people have done against you. I want to say this emphatically. There is a big moral difference between someone who refuses to forgive and someone who's trying to but is having a hard time. There is a big moral difference between the two. One is a sin 
which threatens the very forgiveness that God has for them, a refusal to forgive, the other is often a sign for the need of healing and even maybe deliverance from evil. One is a sin, one is a sign of of the need for healing. And the reason is because forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. You can forgive someone and not feel anything good toward them. You You can have, you can, feelings come later, right? But you can be in a state of forgiveness and not have any uh, kind of good feelings toward that person, right? Because forgiveness is a decision you make. But oftentimes when we're hurt, we need to recognize it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to feel pain. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that somehow everything is made right about that situation. We can feel and experience pain in our hearts. That's just a sign that we need healing. This is one of the reasons why I speak so much about inner healing and deliverance. God wants us to be free. But it's important for us to remember that when we have forgiven, freedom will come. There are two signs that I would like to say that, you, that are signs of forgiveness in your own life. And I really want to encourage you to remember this. You know that there's forgiveness in your heart when you sincerely desire blessing upon the person who hurt you. You desire forgiveness. You desire happiness and joy. You desire God to prosper them. When you have a desire for that person to experience God's blessing, that is a sign that you have forgiven them. The second sign is that you have compassion for the person who hurt you. You begin to feel sorry for them, that they stooped to that level to do what they did. Those are signs of forgiveness. The reason why I say this is that when we look at how things have happened to us, the debts that people owe to us, we need to see them from the divine context of mercy. The context is that what they've done is a much smaller amount. And we know the numbers. It's insignificant compared to what he's done for us. I say this not to minimize the injustices that we've experienced. I say this to maximize our awareness of God's mercy. As you come forward to receive communion, my encouragement is that you thank Jesus once again for bearing the burden of your guilt, for bearing the debt that you owed to God, and then ask him for the gift of an awareness of his divine mercy so that those who owe you a much smaller, insignificant amount not only can be forgiven, but you might be a witness, a model to the world of the goodness and the mercy that God has for us in his son Jesus. Amen.